Chrissy. Atomic We fail, then freedom fail. everyone, and welcome back to the German Marshall Fund's Out of Order podcast, a show where we discuss how the world was, is, and will be ordered. I'm Sydney Simon, a producer with the show, filling in for our regular hosts, Rachel and Peter, while they're on the road. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming soon, but today we're trying out something new. Occasional brief conversations with experts and newsmakers on the stories that are at the top of our news feeds. Back in July on Out of Order, We discuss what's on the line when it comes to sanctions against Iran in the wake of President Trump's withdrawal from the JCPOA, also known as the Iran nuclear deal. U.S. officials have since traveled the world, delivering an ultimatum to non-U.S. companies. Stop doing business with Iran or face being blocked from the U.S. market and financial sector. Now the stakes have been raised even further. Last week, the remaining members of the nuclear deal announced that they will create a new payment system that would allow countries to avoid U.S. sanctions and continue doing business with Iran. With the next set of U.S. sanctions set to go into effect in just over a month, we've decided now's a good time to take a few steps back and reassess the situation with sanctions in Iran with one of our go-to experts on illicit finance and sanctions, Joshua Kirschenbaum. Hi, Sydney. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about... What's going on with the latest announcement by the EU and the U.S.'s response to it? Uh, Well, the announcement from the EU and China and Russia came last week that they are committed to continuing the nuclear deal with Iran and the sanctions relief that was agreed to in 2015 by all the parties, including the United States. Um, In 2015, the U.S. agreed to provide sanctions relief to Iran in exchange for nuclear concessions, particularly relief of what's called secondary sanctions, meaning U.S. targeting of third country actors for dealings with Iran, which was the main pressure, one of the main pressure mechanisms brought to bear to bring Iran to the table several years ago and negotiate on the nuclear program. Uh, this deal was agreed to by the Obama administration. When the Trump administration took over, it indicated its displeasure, and then in May of this year announced that it would be pulling out with the full pullout taking effect in early November, meaning the full range of sanctions, including, importantly, secondary sanctions on Iranian sales of oil, and on investment in or services to Iran's oil sector will go back into effect, meaning the U.S. position, both on paper as well as rhetorically, has been that it will take a very aggressive approach to targeting third country actors, including in Asia or Europe, who continue doing business with Iran, including business that was agreed to under the JCPOA deal, such as importing oil from Iran or providing services to its develop its oil or gas sectors. Can you tell us a little bit about how the business regime works between Europe and Iran? Right now, um, European companies generally can't conduct most of their business with Iran through the U.S. financial system or do transactions denominated in dollars anyway. There's a broad U.S. financial embargo on Iran that dates back to the 90s. So the existing business, such as Iranian imports of oil, excuse me, European imports of Iranian oil, should generally be conducted with European banks involving euros. Uh, that doesn't change with the reimposition of secondary sanctions. The threat now is that major European commercial banks and major European energy companies that either were doing business with Iran under the JCPOA or may consider doing so in the future can't risk losing access to the U.S. market and therefore 
will pull out or wind down the business by November. So this special purpose vehicle, how does this differ from the system that we already have in place? And how is the EU kind of envisioning this, allowing businesses to continue interacting with Iran? They haven't provided detail, but it seems that they're envisioning either a new financial institution or some firm that acts as a clearinghouse to centralize all the remaining trade. So they're acting on the assumption that major European banks won't want to be involved anymore. So presumably the special purpose vehicle will be some new entity they create, the legal status of which we don't know. And that entity will likely either have a reserve account at the European Central Bank or an account at a national central bank. Possibly it would have an account at a state-owned European commercial bank, although I think the ECB or a central bank is more likely. The theory being that it would be difficult for the United States to penalize the European Central Bank or a national central bank because of systemic financial concerns. So the idea is that even as you wall off European commercial banks, this special vehicle, whether it's a depository institution or just some kind of trade finance firm, will have either accounts for or keep track of and an accounting of all the Iranian oil sales. So the National Iranian Oil Company or its trading arm presumably would receive credit with this vehicle for the oil it sells into Iran, uh, into Europe. Then those credits build up and the special purpose vehicle can allow firms in Europe as well as presumably China or Russia and possibly other countries such as India or Turkey to get paid out of those credits for the exportation of goods or services back to Iran. The idea is that even though no major multinational bank is involved, Iranian oil sales can still continue uh, and then those proceeds can be used at least in part to finance additional trade with Iran or at the very least to build up and s- support uh, Iran's uh, foreign uh, foreign reserves. So at least they're continuing to sell oil and it won't be shut down entirely. It remains to be seen how well this will actually function in practice and we need to understand more about what the operational details are, which should be announced in the coming weeks. So the plan sounds feasible in theory, but experts quoted in different articles are saying that this mechanism, even though it could establish a clear financial channel to trade with Tehran, is actually unlikely to protect participating companies from the U.S. secondary sanctions that you were just mentioning. So what are the risks kind of involved for companies who so choose to go down this route and continue to trade with Iran or do business with Iran? Yeah, this is the real question of on the margin, what difference will this make? And I think that the observers you cited are correct in that major multinational banks will want to stay far away from this mechanism and probably international energy companies will want to as well. I'm not sure the question really or the goal for the Europeans is to is to see the continuation of full normal trading relationship with Iran, including energy sector investment. I think there's probably nothing the Europeans can do about that. I think the scenario that they're probably planning for is a two-year bridge until the next American presidential election in November 2020. The idea being, my guess is, that if they can keep Iranian oil sales going for two years, Iran will continue to build up foreign currency reserves. It will be able to finance some trade, as you alluded to, probably not with major European multinationals, but perhaps with small and medium enterprises that have less exposure to the U.S. And potentially, this could be used also to finance backfilling by Chinese and Russian energy majors or, or energy services companies. So I don't think it's likely that this mechanism, at least as it's currently envisioned, will constitute a watershed moment or a shift away from the role of New York or the US dollar or the coercive power of American sanctions. Long term, this could 
lead to deterioration in those capabilities as this brings the European Union together with China and Russia in a sort of evasion or avoidance scheme. Maybe down the road, this has long-term repercussions. But in the next two years, I think the goal is simply to keep Iranian oil flowing, keep the foreign currency reserves building up, and play for time. The U.S. has been touting its unilateral sanctions as a powerful tool for essentially forcing other countries to halt their own business practices with Iran, potentially with other nations in the future. Is there a precedent for such a split uh, when it comes to sanctions like this? I mean, the EU has touted the nuclear deal as one of its greatest foreign policy achievements. This seems like a big blow to that. Um, so I wonder what your take is on the precedent that this, this could potentially set for the U.S. and EU cooperation on these matters in the future. I think there's a risk that this development on sanctions in the context of broader friction between the U.S. and many countries, but in particular the U.S. and European Union, there's a risk of this leading to further deterioration or to an effect that's larger than uh, the literal substance of this particular issue. I think it's too soon to say, um, but it's certainly worrisome to see Federica Mogherini making this announcement in New York at the UN before the President of the United States chairs a Security Council with China and Russia by her side. Um, I think that there are many instances of the United States imposing sanctions on a country or target without European, full European Union backing. Um, however, this is a case of direct opposition. It's not merely the U.S. leading more aggressively or the U.S. acting where others are passive or inactive. This is a case of the U.S. attempting to coerce the European Union to undo and essentially contradict its stated foreign policy and one that is considered in Europe a major accomplishment as well as um, a policy that benefits the international nonproliferation regime. I think the closest example I can think of, which isn't a great comparison, would be the U.S. policy with respect to Cuba sanctions for many years, which have never been followed by other countries and often have led other countries to adopt laws prohibiting uh, compliance with U.S. sanctions, anti-boycott laws. And I think that that was not an especially productive experience for the United States. This is different and in some ways higher stakes. And uh, I think that the aggressive coercive use of secondary sanctions is by no means now ruined. But there is a question of how many times this type of thing can happen. And I think it would be advisable for us not to find out. So given all of this... We're about a month away from the next round of U.S. sanctions that were are particularly targeted at Iran's oil sector to be implemented. We're looking at November a November 5th implementation, and the Iranian foreign minister has already said that uh, his government hopes that this new infrastructure with the EU will be established before then. In the coming weeks, where do we see this fight going? Do we think either side will blink, or are we down the road for some kind of confrontation that won't be able to be walked back? We should expect to see some more detail emerge from the European side, either via an official announcement from the External Action Service or simply information leaking out into the press about how this is going to work and who's going to participate. And then it will be interesting to assess what the U.S. pressure points would be. I think it's likely that the EU will try to wall off the participants, but nonetheless, the U.S., depending how aggressive it wants to be, can find ways to target those actors. If there aren't currently existing sanctions authorities on the books to target them, 
it can create new ones, either through designations, executive orders, or congressional legislation, although most targeting could probably be done solely by executive action. Trying to predict how far the U.S. will go in attempting to coerce or stop this um, is, a risk, is, a, is a tough business, and um, I can't predict exactly what the U.S. government would do, but I think the outcome is likely to be somewhere in the middle here where we don't see a full diplomatic rupture, but things do not go well diplomatically. The U.S. may or may not take some retaliatory measures. As I alluded to earlier, you won't get a full flowering of European-Iranian commercial ties that was perhaps envisioned under the JCPOA. Nonetheless, the Europeans are trying to find a way to muddle through for two more years. And if I were betting, I think it's more likely than not that they will succeed in that. And that the real outcome, the final determination of what happens here will be decided in two years from now in the United States election. With that, thanks so much for listening and stay tuned for the launch of season two of Out of Order, coming to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts.